This is an iFanboy special edition podcast on Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Oh, is that the subtitle? Yeah. Wow. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. And when you're out there without care, yeah, I was out of Hello, welcome to a special edition I Fanboy podcast on Birdman, or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and here with me is Mike Romo. He's former hey. iFanboy staff writer. Farmer. I'm a farmer. Farmer. Farmer, farmer iFanboy staff. staff writer. Great to be back. And also co-founder of iFanboy, former co-host of the Pick Week podcast, Ron Richards. Hey, how you doing, Connor? It's the OG crew. Had had to happen. It had, it had to happen. If there's one thing that could bring us back together, it had to be this film. It, it is. You know, I was all, I was all ready. I was waiting for the call for the Sin City Two call. I went to the movie. The call never came. You're the only one who went to that one. That movie came out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Oof, oh boy. So this this was not planned or expected. We did not have this on the scheduled podcast. It just so happened uh, Mike and I went to see this with a bunch of people uh, the, day, the day it came out here in L.A., and Ron had seen it, and we all just started talking and realized we had to do a show on it. Um, this was, it's not, you know, normally at iFanboy we talk about comic book movies or, or in that genre of movies or that, you know, that, that uh, what do you like call ad, it? Like adaptations, you know. Like, right, you but know, like Transformers, G.I. Joe, in that, in that Star Trek, in that area. Uh, Birdman. Wait, wait, wait. Before we say anything, <laughs> if you do not know anything about this oh, film, yeah. Do not listen to this podcast, and don't watch any TV commercials, don't read any reviews, just, uh, just pre- press pause, and go to the movie. Exactly. Just literally go right to the movie theater and go to see it, because like Connor said, you know, normally we try to review movies that are of, we, normally you guys try to review movies <laughs> of, the, of, of, the, of the comic geek kind of ilk. What are you, and, that's a term for that. What is it? It's a... Uh, genre, superhero genre film. I guess. Is that not- I don't know. Term. Wasting I'm our time, yes. Waste, wasting our lives, uh, <laughs> making oh. making other people rich. <laughs> but um, so but this is on the periphery because I mean this is straight up. I mean, is this an indie? It was New Regency. Is it? Would you consider this an indie film? This is this is an indie film that might break out a bit. I well, think. Well, it, it, it was playing on four screens in yeah. the theater that we saw it in. Yeah, I'm, well, because we're in LA. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, yeah you might have a bias. It was playing. <laughs> I was, it was playing on two here in San Francisco. So, but mm-hmm. but um, I've been describing this movie as as this year's Gravity. Oh, that's an interesting way. I am I am in billing it as by far my favorite uh, postmodern superhero film. So that's that's really why we're talking about it because it fits in that in that genre because it is ostensibly about an actor who was famous for being a superhero on screen, but then maybe he's also really a superhero. So it was it fits in that mold. It really was what we wanted to talk about it. We really don't need an excuse because it's our yeah damn show. Cares. But um. So, but I love that we can even say the term postmodern superhero film <laughs> in, in the year 2014. It's incredible where we're at, really. So, it's, a, it's the ultimate response to not only where we've been for the past five years, but also to what the next six to ten years looks like, you right? Mean, you, mean, comes, you mean six to 20? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, I think it comes at a perfectly good time in sort of current cinema for everybody to take a, a sort of a step back and go, what the hell? Hell is happening. So well, and, and Ron so, and I, Ron and I have known about the movie. We, we've talked about it. We saw the trailer. 
we were excited for. We all, we love Michael Keaton. I feel like but, we've been tracking this movie for like a year now. Right. It, we, we, and the idea that it's Michael Keaton starring as an actor who was famous for being a superhero, just like Michael Keaton, was interesting. But but Ron, Mike didn't know anything when we sat down. I hadn't was, even oh, wow. seen the poster. I don't know. It just was not on my radar at all. I thought it was going to be about this Incredibles style ex superhero trying to make his way in the modern world. See, we, like, he he knew the title, and then in the theater we were at because it's L.A. They had the Birdman costume in a glass case. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, which led Mike to even further to think this was a superhero standard superhero <laughs> movie. So it's somewhat related to the Hanna Barbera thing. So I was kept waiting for that dog to come out. <laughs> and right, so well, he, we sat down. and He's like, so "What is this about?" And I was like, "Mike, it's just better if we just don't. You don't know just, anything." Yeah. Oh God, I'm so envious of you, Mike. Oh, that's so right. you're so lucky. Well, I got a qu- so well, how, how do you well, guys want to cover this? Hang on, yeah. before we go into it, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about what happens in the movie, we're going to literally give away a lot of stuff, so if you have an interest in seeing the movie, you don't want it spoiled. Please don't listen. Yeah, press yeah. press pause, come back later, trust us. If you had no desire to see this movie, as Mike said earlier, ignore your gut instinct, be like yeah. George Costanza in the Summer of George, and do the opposite <laughs> of what your gut is telling you, press pause, go right to the movie theater and go to see this. So that, that I, out I, of the way. So I know. really I really agree with you. I really feel like you, you guys... It, it, it is a must-see film for some well, reason. If you're into comics and into genre movies, just a modern movie well, goer. Well, there I, the way I looked at this, and the way, and as I was, I was thinking about it, how, how you know, how we're going to talk about this, and really, this movie hits for me on three levels. Okay, yeah. there, there's the there's the um, uh, the the obvious the story of the idea of a guy who played a superhero in a movie in 1992 and then walked away and now is now is looking for redemption like the whole the story of the movie that's one right then the second level for this is the uh, the performance of Michael Keaton which mm-hmm. I feel right. is is something in and of itself and and to a to a to slightly below that the performance of Edward Norton but that but it's mainly Michael Keaton and then the last piece and this is where when I make the comparison to this being this year's Gravity the technical achievement of this director oh, whose name absolutely. I can't pronounce is Ignacio some some foreign name it's Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu he's a Mexican filmmaker right. Inarritu right the technical achievement of this Inarritu Inarritu in your ear. Um, the technical achievement of this movie is akin to, I think, when – because when you walked out of Gravity, not only was that it was like, oh, God, you know, like that story was great. Sandra Bullock's performance was great. But what did I just see? And for right. me, the biggest thing for me was the what did I just see of this movie? And like hitting those three make me think that this is – if this is not nominated for Oscars, I don't know what, what to do anymore. Well, let's start there because like when – so the conceit of the film, clearly if you've seen it, is that this pretty much looks like it's a three-act sequence all done in one take. And what's amazing about it is that you leave the film, and I felt like I was still in the movie because uh, I was just looking around, and the entire film was like, you've heard a fly on the wall. This is fly on your shoulder. Uh, this You're always on. And what was interesting, just in as much as the technical prowess of it and just always feeling very, like, right there, the thing is – there was no release of tension in this film. No. There was no way to take I know and I admit I had to go to the bathroom five minutes in the previews. <laughs> we all did. But, but like uh Don't get that, drinks before this movie. Don't get drinks before seriously. <laughs> bring a bladder. But like uh the the and it's not like suspense tension, it's just emotional, like what's gonna happen next, like Heart, gut in your stomach, throat, a whole thing. You, you there's no release in yeah. this film. So, so, and so, it, so, 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 explain the technical, like what, what, how he explained it. Like you know, you know, you know the, you know, Goodfellas, our our favorite movie, the 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 legendary Steadicam shot when they follow Henry and Karen into the Copacabana through the through the basement. Or the beginning of Boogie Nights. Or the beginning of Boogie Nights, right? One extended shot that doesn't cut. 
but for the entire movie. Yeah. I mean, it obviously does cut. And there's tricks. It does. Stuff, but yes. but yeah. the, as, as Mike said, the tension never lets up in the sense that yeah. you're always moving through the storyline. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right, right now about the future of movies and with Oculus Rift and other technology putting you into the film. This film didn't need those technologies. I felt like I was in this movie. Yep. And as Mike said, when it ended, we were all just sort of, sort of dazed and... And we we couldn't stop sort of giggling and 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 just rubbing our eyes and like it was yeah. just like there was so much tension for for two hours that and and you felt like you were in this theater the whole time with these characters that it was really an emotional viewing experience. Now now what's great about the, what you just said that you're in the theater. So this the other part of the story is about these people are trying to put on a play. The, Michael Keaton the character is he's coming on to Broadway. He's written, directed and starring in an adaptation of a Raymond Carver short story. <laughs> I can't remember. It's like it's a it's like his Hail Mary passed to become relevant again, right? And he's, so, he's financing himself. He's, he's, yeah. Everything's, he's everything's making all the line. He's trying to redeem himself to do something that matters now for, you know, 20 years later, all he's remembered for is being Birdman, Birdman. Birdman for three movies. What we talk about, we talk about love. Yeah. That's it's what a great title. So there's this wonderful. But what was so interesting about it that this to me was truly as close to seeing a play on a movie screen that I think I'll ever get, because there was no break in the tension and the characters are always right in front of you. There's no release. There's very few establishing shots. Yeah, there's right? not, it's not like you get wide shots away from the characters. You're always right up in their faces. So so if if even if I'm you know people don't go see theater that much anymore. It's just live performances. The the, the great thing about being seeing a play or being in a play is that once it goes, it goes. There's no stopping, right? You just have to plow through it no matter what happens. And so as they're plowing through preview nights for the opening night of the show, you're also plowing through the plot of this this movie. So it works the the non the single take sequence and there and there are three main chunks. It's definitely a three act structure to this, and it's all delineated by the passing of the night, right? And each there's a begin and it's it's so rad how much like a play this is, but so shockingly so. And I think I don't want to skip ahead too much, but I think something must be talked about in terms of how this is much like a live jazz performance. The music in this film oh, is the, off oh, the, the chain. Is, the soundtracking is amazing. It just like, it, uh. I was curious what you thought, Ron, because it was. I felt like I, and and then every so often you see the drummer there. Well, you know, and I think you know what he might made, be the you, guy. You know what it made me think of, Connor? Do you remember? Do you, VR. You, you, yep. Oh, I love the live, you. The live VR show. Connor, you are my fucking <laughs> life partner, man. Jesus Christ. So in, uh, so I, it must have been. We were in college, right? Yeah, it, was it was a while ago. I remember it was early. It was the first. Five, four seasons because Clooney was still on it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it was. Yeah, so it's in the late nineties. Must have been ninety eight, ninety nine. Er did a live episode. That they did twice in one night. Twice right. in one night because they did it for the East Coast feed and the West Coast feed. And because it's live and it's basically this sort of thing, they had a guy who was in the ER with drumsticks who was just like playing everywhere, and that was they were using him as the music tension, oh which was just genius. And and this whole movie had a, had a, it was mainly a percussion soundtrack. I don't think there was yeah. any other thing. And so there was there was audible percussion throughout the whole movie, throughout the whole scene. But there were also scenes where the percussion got integrated into. So like there's a moment where Michael Keaton and Edward Norton 
Jordan or walking along um, 47th or 48th Street. Yeah, like yeah. right and, around there. And as they're walking, they pass a guy on the street, a street performer who's playing a drum set. And it's the it's the drummer. It's the guy who's doing the whole music for the show. And then he pops up later on. And, and it's just uh, the, the – and it, uh, you talk about the tension, the, those percussions for whatever, whatever that does with drums made you – it ramped you up and brought you back down and, and made you feel in the moment even more. It was such a tactile movie. It was amazing. It well, felt like one of those like those jazz concerts where you just feel too fucking cool for school, right? <laughs> it's just like it's just going on. They're making, they're improving. You're like, man, this only happens once every fifteen years, whatever. And the whole thing, it, it felt very much like a live, like this is only going to happen once kind of experience, and which you don't get a lot in movies. I mean, I, I. I came away from well. Let's 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 let's, let's take a step back. About, I think we should just yeah. go over the plot really quickly yeah, so everyone knows. So uh, Michael Keaton is is a, the ex actor who's putting on this play to as a last ditch shot at redemption for himself, but also for his family because his his drug addict, uh, recovering drug addict daughter, he's he's hired as assistant, so she's there. Uh, the play has basically four actors, and in the very beginning. Well, you see, one of the actors is really terrible. He he has a light fall on his head, and so they <laughs> replace him with some big Broadway star played by Edward Norton, and who completely immediately throws the whole play into chaos. He's sleeping with the uh, lead actress. He is um, very intense. Very, he's one of those. I don't want to say a caricature of a Broadway actor, but he's one of the. Oh no, those guys, those guys are real. Those, that's <laughs> it. He, he one of his lines is like the only time that he's not performing is when he's on stage, right? <laughs> right, right. Like he's like one of those people, you know, theater to the core. Um, it really pretentious, but doesn't really know how insufferable he is. But like, you can't take your eyes off of him either. And Zach Galifianakis is there. He's he's the lawyer uh, for the main character, helping run the show. But in the background of all this, um, Michael Keaton's ex uh, persona, Birdman, is talking to him. <laughs> and while Michael Keaton is alone, he can move things with his mind and he can do things. And you're never quite sure if that's real or if that's in his head. And and the Birdman persona is constantly berating him because he's telling him, you know, you're better than this, and why are you yeah. doing this? And this is we should be we should be we should be on top. And look what we, look at what we've done. And you almost get the feeling that he's trying to goad him into doing another movie. No, no, he totally. says it. He says totally. it. The whole point yeah, is you know, totally. doing another Birdman. Um, but I love well, I love that Birdman. Was that Keaton doing the Birdman voice? Or? Yeah. He was doing the voice, but it was a younger uh, actor in the suit. Right, it was yeah, so I funny. There's this wonderful point where he's doing the interview with the Japanese press, and he makes some sort of allusion to a Birdman four, and that's all the Japanese press guys want to hear. It's all Birdman four, Birdman four. That's talking awesome yeah um, yeah so this is i mean you know I, I there's an interview with the writer and the director uh, online that i read before the scene of the movie this is a straight on indictment of the current movie culture and look i love all these superhero movies i go to all of them obviously i, I talk about them i love them i have them all on blu-ray but it doesn't make me feel good about the future of hollywood no yeah uh, that it's completely taken over and nothing else gets, gets made but these movies and this movie is a direct shot across the bow on the future, on the current state of entertainment in America, and, there's, and it's and it's even happening during in the movie. So they're trying to replace the other actor, and they're going over, and Michael Keaton's character is rattling off names, and he's like, "Well, what what about this person?" And like, "No, no, he can't do it." Well, what about Jeremy Renner? And they're like, "He's an Avenger." They're like, "Oh God, they put him in a costume." <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And it's just and it's just and it's this and there's and it's even doubly meta because the entire main cast is from superhero movies. So yeah, yeah. Emma Stone from Spider Man and uh, Edward Norton was the Hulk and, yeah. and Michael Keaton. So there's a whole. There's many, many levels going on in this movie all at once. And it makes you uncomfortable um, sometimes because, you know, as a fan of these things. But at the same time, they're not necessarily wrong about, about what's going on. And, and Mike and I spent a lot of time talking about the state of Hollywood and that Linda Opst book about what movies would never get made anymore. And Goodfellas 
would probably get made, but most of the movies we love would never get made anymore because they're all superhero movies. And this is yeah. that sort of sta- statement on the state of affairs, and it's it's a pretty damning damning one. Uh, it's fantastic, though. And, and at the flip side, it's a celebration that everything that film can do with when you take a new look at things. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes film more relevant in in terms of a storytelling device because it's it because what happens is at one point it devolves into a totally crazy superhero sequence, yeah. and it's and it's like the movie maker going, "Yeah, I know how to do this, but I don't want to make those kinds of films." Right. Right. And it's, it's a it's a really thoughtful piece. And Michael Keaton, I gotta say, you know, it's a fully brave performance. This guy throws everything he's ever been at the camera. It's an unwithering gaze uh, to, like, withering gaze really on on his frailty. Uh, all of the actors, I gotta say here, look kind of terrible. Um, yeah, we were and, talking about that after the movie. Like, you feel like they didn't really make them up to be like movie stars. You know, there's like really Emma Stone looked too thin and looked, she had like gaunt cheeks and and you, Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts is a beautiful woman, but she didn't. They didn't try to hide that her age in this movie. And Keaton looks pretty terrible. And it's, but it's all in you know on purpose. And it yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Well, well, another aspect of this film, and I, you guys can all relate. We can all relate that this is a real love letter to New York City in yeah. a way, yes. um, and, and love that it takes place really within one square block in an area that we all probably know pretty well. Either we probably avoided it as many times as we actually have been in it. And there's that wonderful feeling of like, I can't take it. I'm going to go next door and get a drink. Yeah. And like, it's just this whole, you, you feel by what was wonderful. We were talking about it earlier, Connor and I, after the film, the, the space, the, since it's one take and since it happens in this localized space, the theater and the block right around it, the space itself becomes a character. You actually, I actually kind of feel like I know what that theater is like. This, it's almost like a submarine, yeah. like in the bowels of this theater and you see the same People just floating around. A lot of these people just have these really small parts, but they're there throughout the film because they're all just working on the play. Stage managers, stage hands, the makeup people, and you—you you feel if you've. What's funny is like if you've never been in a in a show before, this is exactly what it's like. Where you're just stifled. You're with around the same people over and over again. You're tired of them, or you might be in love with them. You're like you're exhausted, but you're excited. You're scared, but and you're thrilled. And it really communicated that love of live performance. But also, the flip of it is Emma Stone has this crazy-ass monologue where she completely destroys Keaton and modern film and modern Broadway theater, where you're you're working your ass off to please 800 rich white people. And when when I was living there, it was like 1,400 rich white people and tourists from some other place who just got off on a big old bus because they wanted to see actors from Hollywood in person, right? So it's this indictment of modern entertainment, but the flip side of it was like, this is all we got. Well, you know? and, and I think, and I thought it was also a a a that that monologue where where basically they have an argument and she's pointing out to him the the you know he's trying to do something with this play to something that means something and she's pointing out to him that it that it only means something to him that it means it doesn't mean anything to the rest of the world for those reasons that you have and it's also pointing out the real divide that we're in right now in terms of a society as what is in, what is quote unquote important you know and and it was kind of cheesy or whatever we kind of roll our eyes at it but she was the one saying you know you don't exist you don't 
don't you're not on Twitter, you don't have a Facebook page, you know, like it's it's and totally from in terms of celebrity, you don't matter. And if you if you take that moment here in 2014 and compare it to 1992 when when a actor like Regan Thompson, the character Michael Keaton's playing, or I don't know Michael Keaton with Batman Returns, you know, it, at that time enormous huge star can't get any bigger than that and how does someone go 20 plus years later and adapt at the times and a lot of people don't you know a lot of Uh, people have a hard time with it and there's that there's that acceptance that you know i'm no longer relevant and i haven't been able to keep up with what what quote-unquote matters whether or not you want to agree with that's what matters or not going viral or being anything like you know honestly the in in the span of the three days that we see riggan thompson you know go through previews and eventually open the play the moment the, the 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 highest peak for him, or one of the highest peak, I don't want to, you know, one of the highest peaks for him is when he accidentally has to walk through Times Square in his underwear, and somebody puts it on YouTube, and everybody notices. You yeah, know, like, that's it. Yeah. And, and and what an incredible sequence that which, was. Which, by the way, can we take a can we take a moment and step back? And then if he had just made a left, he would have gone to Eighth <laughs> Avenue, and nobody would have cared. He probably would have got picked up by a cop. But no, he made a right and went right into Times Square. <laughs> High school band, all these people, yep. and I and I love the sort of like uh, toward the. There's this sort of crazy dream sequence kind of thing where everything comes smashing in and you have Spider-Man and all these heroes oh, that and was the, the high school band. There, basically, yeah. yep. you know, yeah. you see that where he's he's having that moment and you see Spider the Times Square performers who are dressed in, as superheroes fighting each other. So you've got Spider-Man and you've got the Transformers and Iron Man and it just it's like it's just such a it's on, this, on the theater stage, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was really powerful. That was really really powerful. It, it just, but again, it felt such. Mike said earlier, such like New York. I mean, if you grew up, Mike was an actor, has been in plays, and I grew up in that town with actors and would go to plays and the feeling of that bar that next to the theater yeah. with with the actors and with the theater critics and the the old crusty critic who's going to destroy the play just because she can and. It just felt so authentically real to that. It, that it really felt. Group. I mean, that was the thing. It's like when I was. I remember when I was there trying to do the whole thing, you know, because that was the old pathway that you go to New York, you go on plays, and you go on TV, and you go on films. And what her whole thing was, where it's like, people like you, you come in from LA, you think you're an actor because you made a bunch of money on uh, in movies, and then you're going to come in here with your fucking vanity project. I'm going to destroy you just because you need to be destroyed. And it just also showed, but. You know, she's at the same fucking bar he is, right? She's as alone as he is. Just as miserable. Just as miserable. And really, I mean, you know, when I was back east, you know, it was very – I knew when the Tonys were on, right? And it's like we are in this incredible transition of what entertainment means. And what he's done in this film is shown all of these expressions of modern entertainment and and going, hey, look – Look at was look at what has been the most uh, relevant to people, and you're right, Ron. That was it. That was his peak moment. Was in his underwear trying to get into his own play in the middle of Times Square. It was it not. He was going to sell as many tickets to his play. You know, if maybe he, if he did the movie, but you know that was long ago. It's, it is the internet, and what's so funny is that his daughter inadvertently or. Just she decides to become his sort of internet social media strategist, yeah. and she creates a Twitter page and the whole thing. And it's really interesting because we saw it with we saw it sort of a um, late afternoon. I'm not going to go to work time, <laughs> and uh, it was mostly older people. And I was I would have been really interesting to see, like the I could see that the older people like I I don't know what they're talking about, but like 
we're we know we know that this is what you have to do to be existing content is have all these different channels and manage all these channels and just watch him you know she's screaming at him dad I'm, dad I mean you hate bloggers I mean this whole thing and it was all these collisions and you just sort of see like he was just trying to do what he thought was right and it was never going to be enough yeah. right what so what did you guys think about the I mean I felt like the powers. And these expressions of him maybe having these superpowers, like, I love that part because I love anything like that that's never explained. Um, well, that's the whole end. What, what do we think the ending meant? Uh, you see, yeah, so, so, I mean, to... To, to, set, to set it up, yeah. the, in case you're listening, didn't see it, and you didn't take our advice, and now you're and, screwed. And you kind of... Uh, so he has sort of a breakdown, and the, the the big moment in the play is at the end when the main character shoots himself, and and uh, so he, but misses, but misses. He tries to commit suicide. On well, that's the, that's that's what the, the character's supposed to do in the in the in the play: is shoot himself, and that's the end of the play. But he brings a real gun on stage, uh, tries to shoot himself, misses, and blows his nose off. <laughs> ends up in the hospital, wakes up with a really creepy fake nose. Yeah, which. Was so well done. I, I if there was a moment where I wasn't sure it was Keaton, but it, it was. But it, it was amazing how much a nose will change your whole your yeah, whole face. Yeah. But, uh, but what was funny, just parenthetically, what was really interesting the the Birdman hero who, who had been such the staggering presence throughout the film. As Keaton is looking at his new nose, the Birdman is just there sitting on the toilet yeah. and he's not saying anything. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, and so then, so so then he goes to goes outside, opens, goes to the window of his hotel, of his hotel, his hospital room, opens it up, and jumps, and you think he's killed himself until his his daughter comes in, looks outside, and then looks up into the air as if she's watching him fly. So Smiles. it's the same. It's so, the same look from Spider Man, right? So, yeah, it was the exact same. So so now and now here's the other thing is that so in scenes earlier in the movie. When he's alone, he's seemingly has telekinesis where he can move things around. He like he's you know subtly. Well, the first time we see him, he's flo- yeah. he's he's meditating but floating off the yeah, ground. Exactly. Right. But but but, 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 oh, but do you think he's the one that moved that light and hit the actor? Well, he claims right? he did. Like he tries to tell Zach Galifianakis, like I caused that. You know, like I right, did it. Right. You know, right. and and so like, you know, like I was overacting. Let's like be oh, fair. that guy was awful. He yeah, was terrible. Deserved, but, deserved it. But so so but then in the in the middle of the movie, there's a key scene. Where he basically has this daydream where he's living the next movie, and there's this whole big, you know, this whole big fight scene and a whole big explosions and all this sort of stuff, and then that uh, that segues into him basically waking up the next day and then f- flying around New York City and then arriving at the at the at the theater. Except right. that when he arrives at the theater, what happens? No one, no one sees no, it. No, he he, had, no one sees him land. He he. The camera pans as he walks into the theater, and then you hear a cabbie screaming, and yeah, you didn't and, and you see a, a taxi door door wide open, and the cabbie right. going, "Who's going to pay me?" Yeah. And so yeah. Th- that one moment puts the yeah. doubt into me as to whether or not these powers are in his head or not. Um, so that that's really yeah. throws the whole. I didn't think they were real at all. I thought it was all in his head until yep. the ending. Until the end, it really yeah. threw me for a loop. I don't yeah. know what to think. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. I kind of I love that. I don't know what to think, and won't. I have to see it a few times and think about it more. Yeah. And I'll never really know. It'll be up to me at the end to decide what I think happened. But yeah. it was. I mean, I was really looking forward to this, and I was excited to see it. But I was not really prepared. I think for what I saw, and what, one of the people we saw the movie with was talking about it afterwards. Um. Had a great point. So when he shoots himself on the on the stage, and then the audience erupts into this uh, rapturous applause and standing ovation, it was kind of like uh, the applause for Tinkerbell. Yes. You know, like sustaining his life. Yep. 
because right. that's what he was he was looking for that acceptance, right? And he yeah. finally gets because even before that in the previews, people were laughing and sort of snickering at the at, at what was going <laughs> on. Max, yeah, yeah. And, and then, even and, and even when he wakes up in the hospital, Zach Galifianakis comes in and reads that the horrible critic who's going to destroy his play praised it. It's the front page yeah. of the art section in the Times, and there's a photo right. of him and and how the you know the the um, how Riggin Thompson bled on the stage both physically <laughs> and metaphorically. You know, right, <laughs> right. It, it was. It, it, I thought it was a really good. Uh, it just shows just how desperate uh, being in this kind of entertainment business is. No matter how successful you are, you're always a, a flop or two away from being coming a completely irrelevant. People wonder it, why people, you know, actors go insane, or because it's a really hard life. On and I'm not going to cry a river over people making so much money, but at the same time, it's hard psychologically on you. Right. Well, it, and it, 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 I, it's like it's like the casting of Keaton like is such crazy genius, and uh, indeed all of the actors I thought did some of the finest work I've ever seen them well, do. Yeah, and yeah, even, and, and and I think it's funny because if you did you guys read the interview in Entertainment Weekly with him? No, um, I would go go back and read that. It was two weeks ago. It was the two issues ago, and because there's the there's the clear parallel between Michael Keaton, who walked away from being Batman after the second movie, and Regan Thompson, who walked away from being Birdman after the third movie. And in that entire article, Michael Keaton spends the whole time going, "I can't relate to this guy." I'm not <laughs> really? him, you know. And, yeah, and, and and honestly, by the end of the article, you understand why. And so, Mike, I would tell you to to go go read. I it can't wait. It's really kind of curious to see Michael Keaton's approach to it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, totally, totally, totally awesome. I think I think Michael Keaton is probably. I mean, I've just I've read a few profiles on him. There's a great one in Esquire. Anyone wants to Google Michael Keaton Esquire profile, you'll find it. Um, he seems probably more content. Yep. But I, you know, it's hard not to. It's hard not to. It, I, there's got to be something yeah. in him in, in this character. I mean, he he wouldn't have done this movie. It's so on the nose to, yeah. to his sort of experience. But let's talk a bit a minute about Edward Norton. I don't think we've talked enough about how so awesome he was. Good. He was so great from that, that that first scene when he comes in, and you know he's they they need to fill you know the 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 bad actor gets injured. They need to get a new new person. You they get this kind of buzz. He comes in with the hat and the scarf, and he knows all the lines because he's already yeah. been working with his girlfriend who's in the play. And what's fascinating is that, as Mike said, he's the you know he's this pro Broadway guy. Like he has no aspirations of movies. Like he's a Broadway actor. And the the where the scene where he he, they run through the lines and he just starts eviscerating Michael Keaton's or Riggan Thompson's script because he's he's like he's like look look at this line you're saying the same yeah. thing four times three, you know yeah. Like, yeah and it's that moment where it's like where you know the, the 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 idea of adapting a Raymond Carver story and writing it and then directing it and starring in it is that's, <laughs> that's kind of like the the joke it's the punchline of like what he's trying to accomplish but it's yeah. that moment where even if as close as you are and as 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 excited about it or far along as it is that one outside person to point out yeah you don't need to say this four times just do it once yeah. and ultimately yeah. made it a better perform performance I thought but that scene was so powerful. That was terrific, and it also showed you actors working together to make something happen. I mean, it was it was just really fun to see all that stuff live, and like I, I just there was a naturalism to all of the acting that was just it was bewildering. And then there, what was great is that as crazy as it was as it could get, a lot of the scenes were able to breathe so much. I thought some of the Emma Stone and Norton scenes were just really terrific. Well, the like truth the of dare scenes. sequence. Yeah. Well, yeah. as, as much as much as we saw Regan Thompson, Michael Keaton's character, kind of break down through the process of doing this, yeah. we saw the breakdown of Edward Norton's character too. This is very much his story too, yeah. in a yeah. very strange way. I mean, he's fighting for relevance just as much as Keaton is. Yeah. Um, and, and what was so funny is his relationship with the critic, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's just... 
it's it it just there there are so many reasons to just savor this film especially because it's so unexpected and it's really interesting i accidentally caught a tv commercial for it and it had some of the sort of it was on mute but then i saw all of him flying around yeah i think it showed some of the sort of superhero aspects it showed the the big bird creature thing oh really and the, the trailer shows that and the what's so funny is that much, to be honest, that's okay. such a misfire. That is so yeah. exactly what the film is about, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it's like that is that ex, is exactly about Hollywood screwing things up yeah. and, and that <laughs> making that tra- he must be furious with that trailer unless he's super hyper meta and he wants a shitty trailer. I know. Yeah. I, I think he <laughs> might be to the point that it's you're going and expecting one thing, you're going to get another. So that's sort of part of the performance of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think what you you mentioned how it got to breathe. One of that was the technique of the film, and that which the camera was always floating through the theater. So there was moments where we just went down a hallway. Yep. Yeah. And so we had oh, a breather. There, and that great shot where lock. we just we just held that hallway shot. Yeah. Um, and well, that's move. when the that's when time would pass in strange and unusual ways, and when it would just freeze. And it's really interesting. Like if you haven't seen it, and you're like, it's just when you imagine a movie that's all one shot. I think Hitchcock did it in Rope, and yeah. we, we've seen it done on TV. We've seen things. We've seen extended ones. Uh, even if you n- knew that going in, it's so unexpected how powerful an effect that is. It's it really is almost too much at times. Like I, I really, you, I kept waiting for it, and almost I will admit that there were a few times where I was actually distracted by it because like when is this going to st- I, I, when is this going to stop? <laughs> like, and you realize, and then but then you you succumb to it. And you, then you you, you, you expect feel it. you feel it's it's so weird is because you feel like you're there you feel like you're a part of it yep. and and it's this weird voyeurism or whatever because yeah, in these yeah. moments these kind of these kind of um, these real you know personal sensitive moments you know whether it's Michael Keaton or Edward Norton or or Emma Stone or who, you know there are so many of them Michael Keaton with his ex-wife you know like yeah. e- even the scene with uh, Naomi Watts and and the other actress and and the yeah, problem yeah. the problem Edward Norton and, and Naomi Watts relationship problem where apparently he hasn't been able to have sex for six months and then and then the only time he wants to do it is when they're on stage like that was great like like and that summed it up so much I mean like and and the whole time you're just there eavesdropping or or, or and then something yeah. else happens to the left and you and you move over there for a while it felt very much kind of like a early West Wing when the camera would just follow two characters they were talking and then they would intersect two others you'd follow them instead and it was yeah. always on the move um, I wanted to mention Zach Galifianakis who does something yep. does he never does is play an adult yes. He played a character that wasn't a man-child. There wasn't something wrong with him. He was just a regular person, and I thought he was really great. He had a small role, but I was, you know, halfway through, like, this is great. He's actually playing someone that's normal. And, and, he, was uh, per- and, he, was, and he was perfect at it. Yeah. He, was, uh, he really, he, I mean, as that lawyer-producer, like, he's like, just make it go away. Make it, fix it. And But then you you get little glimpses to see that he's not all as together as you think no. he is. He ap- no. makes himself appear to be, which is so accurate, you know, like, so real. So, yeah. oh, this is this movie was just unbelievable. This is uh, might be this is up there with the best movie I've seen all year. I I totally agree. And what's fun about it? It's so fun to have a movie about that. Like literally, you can't wait to talk about it with people. Yeah. And that's oh, what we went it, to a bar after the movie was over. Mike and I and we went out and we spent the next couple hours just talking about the movie. I mean, it was so so much to deconstruct and. And, and, and what was so funny is comparing this movie, and we I just saw, seen it earlier in the day, to the Avengers 2 preview, right? And where you go, it puts those kinds of films and those kinds of expectations for that for the modern superhero genre film. And then you see this movie, and it 
really sort of dislodges you. It's like, is this that what is that what film is all about? Like when you get to see film done in a way that is truly surprising, that really takes advantage of the format and of the technology. Just like you said, Ron, about gravity, where the technology was used to really some like put you in the moment and where you realize I don't even I think I was in space for an hour and a half this was like I felt like I was in rehearsal for this play and and kept bumping into people during very awkward conversations for two hours right it was it was using technology to make film in such an intimate way and it was so much more fulfilling and caused me to think about things in such a deeper way than than most films I've seen in, in in a while and it made me look at the whole superhero genre in a little bit different way. And it was it was great. It was a welcome interruption in this sequence of events. And also interesting look at creativity and the and the the lengths people go to express things. And and he had a vision. As crazy as that vision was, he had it and he was gonna go to the ends of the earth to make it happen. Yeah. And um, just like just like the director, could you imagine pitching this movie? Right. And I and I, I wanna make this film, blah, 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 and I wanna make it look like we did it in one take. And, and for and, about 15 and, minutes, I was like, maybe I missed it, and they've been doing it for 20 minutes, and I'm just freaking out right now. Like, and, I'm like, and also, I mean, could he? I, I mean, I can't see anyone but Michael Keaton doing this. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's almost like the inverse Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., right? Yep. It's like, of course that's who he should be cast as. Yep. Like, and it's, I mean... These actors really, really expose themselves, most figuratively and literally. I just, like, they really, they, no one comes across looking like, and these are all glamorous superhero. these are superstars of modern movies. Like, every single person are above-the-line names, and they just decided to go for it. Like, that what was so cool about it is, like, I mean, sure, Michael Keaton and Never Norton, like, they all, they bring, it was really interesting, they, they all bring these stories with them, and then they, they all landed on this film, like, it's so cool, like, the Hulk and Batman in this crazy-ass, freaky, Mexican, one-take drama, it's, like, amazing, <laughs> it's, like, unbelievable, this movie, so, I don't know, it's funny, I, I, I hope it does, I hope people watch it, and, like, I hope it really shakes people up. Well, it's doing very well in the you know the limited prestige you know theater set. It's uh, it's grossed over two million dollars at this point, and um, doing very well per screen. I think it was doing over a hundred grand per screen at one point in its opening weekend. And and uh, in L.A., it's all over. It's all over the place in L.A. Of course, in L.A. Of course. It's I'm sure. Account, but it's it's but, doing very well. I hope people I mean, go out to see I it. I mean, this is the kind of thing. I mean, much like Gravity, when Gravity opened last year, was very yeah. kind of quiet and is going to build. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. right now. I mean, I'm I'm pulling it up right now to see. Right now, I think it's only playing at one theater here in San Francisco. It's playing at two Crazy. theaters. It's playing in in the art house one and the half art house one. Um, <laughs> Just know, house. Yeah, well, it's at the Embarcadero and at the Kabuki. You know, so it's, oh, that's it's, so at, it's at fifty screens or fifty theaters across the country. Jeez. What's really interesting for me, I had referred to it as sort of a postmodern superhero film, but sort of tongue in cheek. But in a way, for me, this really is a great comic book movie. Yeah. I feel like it tells a story that only like there are some stories that only comic books can tell. The way they use time and shots and space and 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 pacing and and camera angles and this in a weird way was an incredibly cool comic book film. Like it it, it told the story that a modern like a cool sort of modern co- indie comic like the ones Ron makes frankly that like this would be a book that you could imagine totally reading 
and being shot this way and having these characters and having sort of this commentary on the modern comic book scene like in a way, it, in a way it's a, it, it's 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 a better comic book film than many of the films I've seen in the past 12 months yeah you're right though i mean there was that moment in the film where it turns to a full-fledged comic movie and you're just and you can see the guy going yeah fuck it i, I can do this but i don't want to and it, and, <laughs> and, I, and if i did do it it'd be awesome yeah. it, it would be awesome there was a thing on that building and he came up with the bird and it was yeah it's uh what a special film! I really and and what's funny about it in a, in a way it could not have come about unless we had all those crazy ass movies unless yes, we had yeah. gotten to this point. So out of all this commercialism comes this really cool storytelling that gem. Yeah. Um, that uh, I think anybody who's in the comics and in these superhero films, like I hope they see it and I really hope they get something out of it because I, it's I don't you could only tell the story now and it could not be more relevant. It's, it's it's interesting. I'm looking at the numbers, and it's you know it's it's playing at 50 theaters as opposed to like St. Vincent's, the other big indie movie out right now that, my, that Ron already saw. And oh, so that's, good, Connor. That's so playing good. at that's playing at 2,282 theaters. Right. Really? Whereas wow. Birdman's only playing at 50. Wow. And it's you know well, it's, it's, gro- it's limited release first week. Okay. Sure, but I mean that's it's impressive. In that sense, it's grossed two point one million dollars. Yeah, in, totally. Yeah. At fifty screen on well, fifty it's theaters, got, it's got so much buzz. It got the cover of Entertainment Weekly. I mean, like it's gonna. It's, it's oh, it did. Yeah. It did. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. so I hope everyone goes out and gives it a chance. And it, you can. I just want to say because because often people in this this state of the world get really defensive. You can like this movie and also still be excited to see Avengers too. Oh, yeah, totally. Although that trailer. Oh was yeah, boring, the trailer was really boring, but that you can still so yeah. weak. You can you can still <laughs> like both. You can still enjoy Captain America Winter Soldier and yep. still not feel good about the fact that studios are only making superhero movies it seems hey, hey man listen I went Friday night to see Birdman and then last night I rented Tron Legacy exactly alright it, 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 hey. which, which honestly in a se- the second time seeing it after seeing it in the theater back in 2010 wasn't that bad oh I see it all the time I'll <laughs> watch that it. thing at any second yeah, I I'll just it. turn, turn Mike, it up loud Michael what's his name the guy from the British guy from Frost Nixon fantastic so anyway, that's <laughs> no. He's totally good. He, he steals that. He that yes. guy is awesome. That guy's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Anyway, in, uh, but that's yes. a whole other podcast. So, so don't yeah. be afraid. Yeah. Of, don't be afraid of enjoying this movie and also feeling okay about your superhero movies. It's it's a movie worth seeing. It's a message worth thinking and talking about. And if um, you're into storytelling, it's about this is a great. It flips storytelling on its head. And this or if is, you're an actor, very and you've done any theater. I imagine I, I was looking at you, Mike, in the beginning when you as it was <laughs> as as the movie was revealing itself, and you sort of. Did the like clap smile thing you do when you're really excited? And I was like, oh, I was on the edge of my seat. Well, that's yeah. how you're just oh, holding, I I holding your urine you in. Oh, I wish I could have gone with you guys. Oh. Well, see, the problem, Ron, was we, there's a bar in the in the building, and we were early, so we we had a couple of beers. Oh. And about five minutes into the movie, um, during, during we really trailers, really so. had to go. And one of the guys we were with, he he ran he went, out, but he went at the the only scene you could, which is a conversation with the wife. But like that, yeah. that was about it. Yeah. yeah. It's a. That's another thing. So yeah, it's a. Don't drink too much before you see the movie. It's a, it's you, a, you'll want to drink after. That's for it's sure. It's a cautionary tale, kids. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if awesome. you have any history with hallucinogens, you mean this might bring you back. It's yeah, there's yeah, a lot of you'll, things. You'll feel like it after yeah. you after you get out of that theater. That's for sure. Uh, so check out Birdman. Uh, what's the full title? I love that full title. Oh, Bold Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance, which was the top. Wasn't that the title of the. The article, the New York Times article. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, 
Birdman, the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Uh, it is uh, well, we, r- written talk- and directed by Alejandro Gonzalez and Aratu. Who did like, a, what? A, did Babel. Beautiful and Babel and... Yeah. Roy- yeah. Royals, Perils. He hadn't done a film in four years, which was interesting. But uh, Michael Keaton, Emma Stone, Edward Norton, Naomi Watts, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Really great, great, great movie. So yeah, check yeah. it out if you haven't. And if you have seen it, go to fanboy.com. You can find the post for this show and you can tell us what you thought of it. Um, and uh, we can have a, discu- a further discussion. We can continue to talk about it in the comment section. That would there. be great. That would be great. Uh, so thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, until there's another unexpected movie we decide to do a podcast <laughs> for, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. And I'm Mike. Take care. Thanks for listening. Go see it. Go see Go Birdman. See it. Go see it. Bark. Bark. Come on. Who do you believe? Who do you believe?